Um, so your best friend is adorable and awesome. <laughs> I know she is. I know you know she is. But <laughs> like, so she came over here to visit the house for the first time. And I'm having a big amount of trouble with one of my rooms because mm-hmm. I, I just, it doesn't feel like home and I just yeah. have no vision for it. So she's an interior designer. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we've said that before on the show. We've said she's an artist. Yeah. But she comes in here with her sketch pad and her measuring tape and it's just like, every wall drawing it and like drawing where the radiators are and the doors and the like built-in units and then she's like okay I'm gonna put this together I'm gonna send you a couple options and then she sends me like a layout of like here's two options oh my god on the computer like digital rendering (laughs) don't feel married to the colors like super professional like Hey, Allie, comma, paragraph, 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 sincerely, comma, page. I was like, what the hell? She is so professional. Full grown up. Oh, my God. Full scale grown up. Which is so funny because, like, she'll send me pictures sometime and she's like, I just ordered $60,000 worth of fabric for this mansion. And she'll just be like, it's just like her in a sweatshirt and then like socks with hot dogs on them. And (laughs) she's like, who hired me? This is ridiculous. I should not be ordering $60,000 worth of fabric. (laughs) Right. And then she'll also like, I'll be like, oh my God, thank you so much. This is so incredible. And she'll be like, sorry, it took so long. I'm a lazy ass bitch. (laughs) I'm like, you are so both sides of the spectrum. I don't understand. Oh my gosh. it. It was really cool. Also, shout out to Paige. She just got a huge opportunity this week. She has been hired to paint an entire building in <gasps> Hamilton. No. Yeah. Not just one side? Yeah, like the whole thing. All it's going to be amazing. I love that. So just congrats to her. She's fucking killing it in the art mural world, and she's amazing. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about Paige's no, story. No, we're not. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> we're here to talk about her story. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. And this is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But there's one thing you need to know about these two ladies. We are drinking the entire time. We also have nuance, though. We do have nuance. That's true. (laughs) Chock full of it, in fact. Yeah, uh, but we're also not historians. So we're drinking. We're not historians. And we just wrap up all this information. We take one week and we deep dive Mm -hmm. into a person. This season, it's people you requested. Yes. So you're throwing some real curveballs at us. Because this is people we don't know anything about. I mean, sometimes I'll be like, oh, my God, I can't wait for two weeks when I do blah, blah, blah. And now I'm like who the hell am I supposed to do this week? And I look at the list and I'm like, I don't even know that person existed. <laughs> but it is, I'm, I'm truly fulfilled <laughs> in my learning experiences. And thank you. Thank you. So, but while you're listening to this podcast, your hands are busy. You're making two cocktails at once for some crazy reason. That's what we always do. That's true. You're, you're trying to be like Tom Cruise in the hit movie Cocktail. So your hands are busy. They're so cold from all the ice and the shaker. So you can't Google these women and what they look like. No, you can't. So we're going to describe what they look like. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I'm doing Katara (gasps) from Avatar The Last Airbender. And this is our first fictional person of of the season. season. And I'm, I'm excited. Uh, so Katara is an indigenous teenage girl of about 14 years old from the Southern Water Tribe. She's tall and slender with a trim figure. She has fairly dark skin as most Water Tribe 
people do. Katara's head is oval shaped with round sapphire colored eyes. Her hair is a dark auburn color and is usually tied up in a bun or in a long braid with these two strands that come down and loop around her ears. Her clothes are usually dark aqua with silver accents as like a water tribe garment, but it resembles a skirt in its length. It's kind of martial artsy with the okay. slits on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wears a navy parka because she's in a cold location, like a okay. southern cold location with uh, this white belt that cinches at the waist. Her pants are navy with dark leather boots at the bottom. And she also wears this choker necklace that was handed down to her from her family. When she does travel to warm weather locations, she wears a little less clothing and she is a babe. <laughs> and uh, my favorite thing about Katara is when she fights battles, her hair gets messed up. which is something you don't see in a lot of cartoons i think they do it now more with like the pixar setting you know like how elsa's hair can get messed up because they digitally put in every single strand yeah but back you know in 2005 when this came out and when they were drawing this in like the anime format that was like a very interesting thing to have her hair in her face because of a battle yeah oh that's cool that's what katara (laughs) looks like who are you doing and what does she look like i am doing matilda gage She had a long square face with small dark eyes and a pointed chin. Um, She had pale skin. She has white hair typically piled up, usually in kind of a braided coiffed bun or with a few like ringlets coming out from the bottom. In many portraits, um, she is just wearing like big kind of 1800s dresses. Um, But she has the knowing smile of a woman who thinks way beyond her years. And that's what she looks like. (laughs) That's exciting. I don't know a lot about her, but I want to know about this drink okay. so I can drink it because it is stunning in my brand new wine glasses from yes. my brand new mansion. <laughs> so I'm calling this the Matilda effect. It is equal parts orange juice, gin, Campari, and then you top the whole thing off with champagne and you serve it over ice in a wine glass. So cheers. Cheers. So refreshing. Yeah. I've always wanted to buy Campari, but it's like one of those things where it's like... You can use sweet vermouth instead. I could use like, you know, another like Italian aperitif, mm-hmm. aperitivo, whatever yeah. in place. And I was like, I'm going to just go ahead and buy some fucking Campari this week. And uh, I did. And I'm not regretting it. Because... You shouldn't. Uh, every time it comes up in a cocktail, I, I Google a replacement for it because I don't want to go buy it because the last time I did buy it, it was for my little sister Marjorie's birthday party. And then I got drunk off my ass and yes, left it did. there and <laughs> left it there. So it's like I bought Campari and it exists, but I'm sure my little brother and sister have now consumed this Campari, at least if it's vegan. I'm not sure because Jack's not going to drink it. Oh yeah. Most liquors. Vegan. I mean, I think most liquors yeah. vegan or, or animal cruelty free. Yeah. I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. What the hell's happening? I don't know. Beer and French fries <laughs> vegan. Okay. So I don't know anything about this woman. I Googled her, and I I think she has something to do with Native American civil rights, but that was all I saw because I didn't know anything, and then I was really excited because although Katara exists in this fictional world, um, 
in the show and books and movies Avatar The Last Airbender is intentionally supposed to be like an indigenous culture. Okay. So, or at least that's the way I perceive it. So that made me excited because already there's a cool comparison. So why don't you fill me in on the deets? Okay. So thank you to Meg25 on Instagram. Or just Meg, I guess. Uh, for this. A-G. Yep. <laughs> Two five. Uh, thank you for this request. I was having a really hard time in the beginning because I was like, there's nothing on her. And then as I got rolling, I was like, how do we not know about this person? And I'm going to tell you exactly why we don't know about this person, because there's a very interesting story behind it. Yeah. She was quite literally written out of history. On purpose? Yeah. That sucks. I know. By some familiar players oh so we're gonna know yes we know who done it we know who done it who stole that cookie i don't need scooby-doo from to the tell cookie me jar. who done it <laughs> if it wasn't for these mangy kids <laughs> okay tell me about matilda okay so Mati- oh i want to do my sources too so i yeah. got a lot of it from the three um free thought trail website and the book searching for matilda portrait of a forgotten feminist by charlotte m shapiro um there was another biography of hers that was like really notable but it wasn't available online and like there's just no time in the week to like order from amazon and have it come in or go to the bookstore or whatever so there's just no time so i got this one it was an ebook um so i bought it online and i um got a lot of this from there so Matilda Electa Jocelyn was born on March 24, 1826 in Cicero, New York. Her parents, Dr. Hezekiah Jocelyn and Helen, were very interesting people for the time. They were extremely liberal and passionate abolitionists. They even made their house a stop on the Underground Railroad. Wow. Yeah. I know. I just never... New York, I always feel like is so out of the loop of that. But I, I, I have to just get in my head that it's only three hours from the Mason-Dixon line. Yes. By by car. You're only three hours away from there. And then it's really like this kind of crucial last step because they're so close to Canada. Canada. So it is like, you know, technically free up there. But again, it, like the Fugitive Slave Act comes in later. But there are still some hazards of, you know, getting all the way up. So they were stopped on the Underground Railroad. Her father had kind of descended from these like radical revolutionaries and he had been an abolitionist his whole life. Um, And he also used their house as a place of community and a gathering place for learning and for kind of bringing other people into this fold of like, hey, you should also be anti-slavery. And this is why. Okay. And she's a white woman? Yes. This is a white family. We don't know too much about her childhood, but we know that she was educated by her parents and brought up to be just very thoughtful and constantly questioning power structures. Um, Since her father was a doctor, he took her education very seriously, but he didn't want to just focus on like math and science. He also taught her a great deal about philosophy and Greek mythology. And then her mother's coming in with these rich family ties to her family lineage in Scotland. And she's teaching her, like, this is how you do historical research. This is how I found out that, like, this is what my family ties are. And this is what our, you know, kilt tartan was, you know, in Scotland. And so then she kind of gets in her head. She's like, okay, it's important to be a well-rounded person. (laughs) But... And this is, like, all we know about her mother. It's, like, all she gets credit for is, like, she learned about history. But when she writes one of her first books, she dedicates it to her mother. And she says she was, quote, all at once 
her mother, sister, and friend, which I think is like such a sweet way to describe your mother, especially if you're an only child, which she was. And especially as you age, I think the the older you get, the more valuable you realize your mother is, especially if you have a good relationship with your mother. I don't want to sadden anybody right now that doesn't have a good relationship with their mother because there's a lot of people who don't. But um, when you do, it is very, very valuable. Um, also, Jake installed curtains for us oh, cool. so that we don't have to yell about buzzards. Perfect. <laughs> did you listen all the way through today? I didn't listen all the way through. Did I didn't get to the very end. Did you put the whole thing at the end? I put the whole thing at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody stops at like when we start doing our like us on Instagram, uh, after that, I put an entire cutout of Katie and I screaming about a buzzard. Oh, my God. So I can't wait to listen. <laughs> Um, but the most important thing to Matilda's parents were that she grow up feeling a true conviction for whatever she believed in or decided to believe in. She was raised in the Baptist church, but when Matilda was having doubts, they encouraged her to ask questions. She would be like, I don't understand this whole like, you know, predestination thing or whatever. Is that what it's called? Predestination? Mm-hmm. She was like, I don't really quite understand this and doesn't make sense to me. He'd be like, all right, well, go ask him what? Or she'd be like, I don't really agree with X, Y, Z. And she'd be like, okay, go take it up with the pastor. Like predestination versus free will. She's getting into like real, she's getting into like real theology. shit. Yeah. And she would just frequently go to the minister and she'd ask him questions and she would disagree with him. She'd be like, uh, I don't think that's true. <laughs> and her parents would be like, yeah go Matilda go ask fucking the hard questions that's so, great I know and the thing was she did this because she truly wanted to understand the Bible she even taught herself Hebrew and Greek in order to read it in the original language oh that's gorgeous it's incredible she's so smart so the Bible's written in like a bazillion languages that's true yeah, yeah. so it's but not Hebrew's all a Greek. lot of the Old Testament yeah. and Greek's a lot of the New Testament right I, or at least the Gospels I think so okay um So by the time she got to school, um, she went to the Clinton Liberal Institute when she was 15. She had already had a pretty advanced and well-rounded education. Uh, Fun fact, another woman to attend this particular institute was Clara Barton, and they were only a few years apart in age. Really? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So her father tried desperately to use his connections to get her into medical school, but no one would accept her. That was her absolute dream. She was like, I want to be a doctor. I want to help people. I am like, I know that I'm smart enough. And even though he was this well-known, well-respected doctor, he could not pull any strings to get her into medical school. And she was so bummed, but she will still go on to do amazing things in her life, just like Patsy Mank. But before we talk about all that, we should touch base with her personal life. So on January 6, 1845, at the age of 18, she married Henry H. Gage, a merchant of Cicero, which sounds very like Italian, (laughs) but it's all in New York. (laughs) Uh, And they made their permanent home in Fayetteville, New York. I feel like New York's very Italian. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. So he was eight years older than her, and she gave birth to their first child just 10 months after the marriage. She would go on to have five children. Uh, Her first Charles died in infancy, and then you have Helen, Thomas, Julia, and Maud. And there's, again, not much we know about her personal life. I mean, sources are not quite sure what to make of her relationship with her husband. He was a well-to-do man with a fortune of around $60,000, which is nothing to sneeze at. But he didn't seem to like that his wife was so involved politically. And he definitely did not like that she was 
obviously the dominant spouse. They even voted for different people in the 1872 election. He voted for Horace Greeley, who was not supportive of women's suffrage, and she was a staunch supporter of Ulysses S. Grant, who did support women getting the right to vote. And let's be clear, it was illegal for her to vote. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, like, women can't vote different than their husbands. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a thing in the 1800s. No. So, um, and she does, at some point, when she was 67, they came back to arrest her for voting. Okay, so she did actually vote. Yes, because there was one time, where, like, we'll get into where she led, like, a big, like, you know, vote, but, like, it's, I don't know if she actually did make it because there's a lot of times she tried to and then they were like, no, you have a vagina. Get the fuck out of here. There are also like there. I know she's in New York and I don't know their exact rules, but like voting for all of women happened in like 1920. Mm-hmm. It was federal law, but there are places like Wisconsin where it was legal in like 1860. Yeah. So it's like, it could have been a weird rule like that where there's like a county rule where she was in a specific location and therefore could vote. Right. Um, but it wasn't this. Okay. Yeah. So it was illegal. <laughs> yes. Okay. Especially because this is a presidential election too. Mm-hmm. So um, she also famously supported HODR alum Victoria Woodhull when she ran for president. <laughs> illegally and she was never really on the ballot but we love her anyway it's fine first time first time for Um, everything but even though her and her husband did not see eye to eye she still raised her children to be good and decent people fellow activists passed through their house over the years her children even called one room the anthony room because susan b anthony would stay there frequently get out and she even carved her name in the windowsill of their house and it's still there today what a punk thing to I do. Know, I know. <laughs> Who the fuck is she? <laughs> Listen, that's lead paint, my girl. <laughs> Susie B. A. was here. Um, <laughs> I voted. <laughs> I sticker. <laughs> so, and we'll get into their relationship a little bit later, um, but... She would also, like, carry her young babies to conventions on women's rights, which we'll get to. And following in her parents' footsteps, she also made her home a stop on the Underground Railroad, even at a trickier time in history, because now it's after 1850, the fugitive slave law has passed. So now it mentions that she's officially harboring fugitives. Oh, she's breaking the law just by not sending them back. Absolutely. But as Matilda said, she was born with a hatred of oppression, so she fought it every chance she got. So because she's fighting for so many things at the same time, I think I'm going to kind of break things down like separately. So we've talked already about her anti-slavery stance, but what I think is most important about her feelings on this topic is that she was always in the ears of these suffrage groups telling them that they needed to expand their focus to include all injustice. She would be like, hey, you're leaving out white women. You're not talking about abolition anymore. What the fuck? And she's like, hey, you're only affecting middle to upper class white women. You're completely forgetting about women who are poor. And like everyone else is like, okay, like shut up. We don't want to hear about it and we'll figure out you know, that's one of the reasons she gets kind of pushed out later on. But I think it's important to say that there was that person in the group being like, hey, we need to stop narrowing our focus so much. And I think it's such an important lesson. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's the reason that things are getting so much better right now. It's like somebody's coming in from the flank and then you get the sucker punch from the bottom. You know what I mean? It's like you need 
two groups, three groups, four groups, five groups of people saying to the patriarchy, yeah. and that doesn't mean white men, that means to the whole system, mm-hmm. this is wrong. Yep. And you need to be, you need to get them on their blind side. Yep. <laughs> when they're not looking. Get them on their blind side. <laughs> it's been a real Sandy so, Why do we reference that movie so much? Um, and for Matilda, that injustice was also happening to a very forgotten population, the Native Americans. So she actively went to local tribes to understand, like, what was going on, what they were going through, and just, like, to talk about what their plans were and what was going on and how she could help. Uh, she was predominantly working with the um, Haudenosaunee people. They were members of the Mohawk tribe of the Iroquois Nation. And at this point in history, they were organizing because the U.S. government was trying to impose American citizenship on them, which would have had a severe impact on their independence and their rights to their land. She would write frequently about the plight of the Native American tribes and basically call out the U.S. government for their horrific treatment of them. So she's again out there being like, hey, I know I can't do much, but I can do this. I can write about you. I can, you know, write articles, write books, send letters. I can do whatever I can to use my power or like the little power I have to help your cause. And it's it's really shocking because, again, we think so much about things that happened in the South with Native Americans and the West, like the Trail of Tears and like all the battles out West. But like Native Americans were also escaping to Canada. Yeah. They like went over the the Great Lakes and are like up in Canada, right in that little like V section. And there were multiple battles that took place there. So she's like getting together with them, trying to help. But what I think is really cool about the time she spent with them is that she's like, oh, no, but also they taught me so much about what it looks like to live in an equal society. She wasn't saying, oh, I feel really bad for them and I pity them, so I'm going to help them. She's like, oh, we all can learn so much because the Honda um, Asani people were a matriarchal and egalitarian society. Women were in charge of nominating the chief. They had full authority to vote him out of power if they did not like the direction he was going. Property was communal. Rape was nearly non-existent. And when it did occur, it was severely punished. Women had power to divorce abusive husbands. And if they did, they had the rights to the home. And it was him who had to move out, which is amazing why why what are the 10 steps back in history we've taken i know she was like guys look it's possible over here look at them they are thriving they're doing so well (laughs) i mean they're not thriving now because of us but she talked about how incredibly like progressive their society was which is a really cool stance to take to be like okay yes i am trying to help them like get access to like the u.s government but also I'm saying that we can learn a lot from them. It's not just like a one-sided situation. It's the opposite of the savage argument. Yeah. It's like they're so much more advanced (laughs) in civil rights than we are. Yeah. And after spending a great deal of time with the Iroquois, she received the name Koronian Hoe, which means she who holds the sky. And they had this whole initiation for her um, into the wolf clan. That's like Atlas. She who holds the sky. Yeah. It's That's his job. It's incredible. So she is officially a part of the wolf clan of the Iroquois nation. That's really cool. It's really fucking cool. She got cool. initiated. I'm super jealous. Yep. I have done nothing to deserve it. I but- know. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm still jealous. Yes. Uh, she was also admitted into the Iroquois Council of Matrons, and she remained a dedicated supporter and activist for their cause until her death. Um, but Matilda saw oppression in so many different ways, and another tool she witnessed from a young age was that of the church. She lectured frequently about the importance of the separation of church and state and the patriarchal nature of the church itself. And the thing is, she's deeply spiritual. She just hated that only men were in charge of the church and they actively used religion to suppress women constantly. And as we will get into, she was really passionate about the history of institutions and she laid it out really clearly that the church was historically and currently oppressive to women and it was the root cause of a lot of injustice she was like look we can link women's oppression directly to years of abuse and neglect by the church and these stories they tell and in fact she wrote a 500 page book about it called women church and state and she was a member of the baptist church for most of her life but she chose not to have her children baptized she was like i believe i'm here but i'm not going to partake in the ways that you want me to partake in because baptism means that we're born with sin and you believe that women are like the root cause cause of of sin so fuck off it's i mean it's such an interesting thing because didn't when we did somebody who wrote the women's bible one of the people you did no we talked about it in that book we read about helen hamilton gardner yes correct Mm -hmm. that's what it was it was on a bonus episode and it's just like it is such an important thing to recognize that religion and i mean there's christianity and hinduism are like two and islam are like huge yeah and it's just like all of them have very similar female themes yeah and it's like these are the three biggest religions in the world and you're telling me that all of you have issues with women in leadership come Mm -hmm. now come on and so then in later years she started to get more and more involved with the spiritualist community and she became a a theosophist theosophist or one who believes in the more paranormal or metaphysical elements of the world. So there was like a theosophical like society and they believed in like fairies and gnomes and like mermaids. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Um, Charles, Sir Arthur, not Charles, Sir <laughs> Arthur Conan Doyle was famously a member. Theosophist. Theos- theosoph- theosophist. 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 <laughs> um, and actually, the there's this. not helping. I know. There's this great story about these little girls who pretended to like, they took pictures of fairies, but they're like paper cutouts of fairies. And Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was like, fuck, they found fairies. I cannot believe it. And he like put these pictures in the newspaper and it was like, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle says fairies are found. And it was we have to do the story of those two little girls because it is incredible. And that's my favorite drunk history episode of all time is about those two little girls. What is the Orlando Bloom show that I like with fairies? Ooh. Can't remember. remember. (laughs) Jeez. Oh my God. My story now, Allie, you jinxed me. Um, (laughs) Katie, Katie, Katie. Thank you. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) like and like like many folks in the years after the civil war she was drawn into this world by a desire to communicate with the dead and for matilda it was her granddaughter who had passed away at just nine hours old oh my god i know it's like gosh i can't even speak yet um i don't know what you're gonna learn from this nine hour old baby but for matilda though it went even deeper than like i want to communicate with the dead i'm not feeling fulfilled in my spiritual journey she also 
wanted to just feel free to talk about more shit. So then she kind of got involved in the free religion movement, which was kind of a blend of religion and science because they believed that they could actively coexist and they would openly discuss things such as like sexual concerns, feminine hygiene, marital problems, which she was super in favor of. And she, like Ariana Grande, believed that God was a woman. And in a woman's convention one time, she opened with a prayer to the divine motherhood of God, which did not go over well. I believe God is a woman. Exactly. Is that what you wanted? Yeah. Uh, But that's one of the things I love about Matilda is she was like, I don't give a shit if this makes you uncomfortable. And she did that all the time. One author said that one of her specialties was to, quote, defect and register any masculine deficiencies with phenomenal accuracy. So she was calling out men and religion and everything just left and right. It's so funny because all I do is care if what I say makes other people uncomfortable. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Which is why I only say things on microphone instead of people's faces. Exactly. (laughs) It's a very good shield to have. Um, So... Elizabeth Cady Stanton also kind of joined Matilda in her anger at the church, um, but not quite as thoroughly um, because she was the one that started the work on the woman's Bible. Mm. She was like, I think we can make this work. But she's like, I see you. I hear you. But like, yeah, but Matilda turn it down to a four. Yeah. But Matilda abandoned it because she was like, I don't care how many times you reinterpret this shit. It's still kind of sexist and just not working. But this is kind of where her roots are. And it's actually where her, like what her first speech was about at the 1852 Syracuse Women's Rights Convention. So according to historians, this is like the beginning of it all. She is 25 years old and she goes to this convention. She's nervous. She's scared. But she goes up on stage anyways, and she's meek and quiet. And apparently Susan B. Anthony was like, speak louder. We can't hear you. And then she was like, "Okay, okay." And she went to like the person running it. And she was like, can we make a rule that if like you can't speak loudly, you are not allowed on stage. And it's like, "Okay, calm down, Susan. Use your TV. Um, That's your teacher. (laughs) Susan was being a real Karen. Project. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She well. I mean, has anyone ever said differently? True. True. Um, you heard it here first. Susan B. Anthony's <laughs> a Karen. <laughs> but that convention, it lit a fire in Matilda's belly that never died. And of course, it brought her into this world of all these famous suffragettes where she founded like home and also conflict as the years went on. And even though her speech was quiet, it made a big impact and was reprinted and distributed after the meeting because what she did in this speech was she made the point that women had been historically silenced and oppressed without reason. She made a list of female scientists, inventors, artists, and political leaders. And she was like, Hey, you know, bread and pillow lace and silk and like engraving women invented that. And people were blown away. They couldn't believe that women had done all of this cool stuff, but had been simultaneously written out of history. And windshield wipers. And windshield wipers. That one girl. (laughs) But yeah, and people were just like totally blown away by this speech. And they printed it off and people were reading it like all over the country because they're like, hold the phone. Women 
can invent things. And it was just like this incredible revelation. Are you kidding me? So she continued to like write and speak about these issues. And she started to work really closely, actually, with Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And they became a women's rights trio known as the Triumvirate. They had a nickname for themselves. Like their Caesar. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And they actually pioneered the infamous split of the women's movement because they felt that the American Equal Rights Association was not being radical enough. So essentially what had happened is that in May of 1869, the Equal Rights Association split into two. Gage, Elizabeth, Katie Stanton, and Susan B. Anthony founded the National Women's Suffrage Association, NWSA which sought a federal women's suffrage amendment to the Constitution. But the more moderate AWSA, led by Lucy Stone and others, sought to win suffrage for women state by state. So they're kind of like, slow your roll. We need to go slow. We need to go steady. And Turtle v. the hare. Exactly. But Matilda and, you know, everybody else was like, no, we need to get going. We need to make it the change of the Constitution. Um... <laughs> why i sounded like mario um <laughs> matilda was elected it's a me you're mario to me the constitution um, <laughs> shut it matilda was elected secretary and then in 1870 she was elected president uh an office that she would hold until 1879 so during these years nwsa became the most successful state level organization um in the suffrage movement which is incredible mm. In 1876, these three women began working on a book called The History of the of Women's Suffrage. They wanted to cement their history and document all the things that they were working so hard on. So they're collecting letters and correspondence in every article relating to women's suffrage. And they're like, we don't want people to fucking forget. Um, never forget. Never forget. <laughs> Except everyone forget Matilda because she sucks. Um, <laughs> in that same year, there was a 4th of July celebration of the 100th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. But after splitting off, the NSWA was not permitted to speak at this event. So in protest, after the president of the Centennial Commission finished his reading of the Declaration of Independence, they marched up and handed him a copy of the Declaration of Sentiments. Then they marched to another stand in front of Independence Hall, and Susan B. Anthony read aloud the Declaration of Rights of the Women of the United States, which is based off of none other than Olymp de Gouches. God, we could have planned it better. I know. We could have planned it better. I know. Her Declaration of the Rights of Women. And it's great. I mean, I mean, and TJ. Mm -hmm. That's what I called Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> TJ had no intention of including women no. in, in anything he was writing. And no. he knew that. And the Bible, all religious texts, had no intention of including women in what they were writing. So they're just out here. Yeah. They're on a limb. And now they're on separate limbs because they're fighting. I know. It's very current to, like, the turf wars that are happening. Yeah. I, I just... If your feminism <laughs> I know. is exclusive, then fuck your feminism. Fuck your feminism. We don't want it. We don't want it. We don't want it. Include so, all. Include all. Women, men, we want your balls in our <laughs> feminism. So, um, 
And in an act of great fucking sisterhood, um, while Susan B. Anthony was reading the Declaration of the Rights of Women up on this podium in July, it's so hot, um, there's Matilda Gage right behind her holding an umbrella over her head to shield her from the heat. The kindest. I know. Wait, where's Sojourner Truth in all this? Uh, she was not mentioned in any of my sources. That sucks because she was on the other side of being shunned from this group. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She did like her name just like was not coming up in any of these things because it's really about the triumvirate. It's funny because they're both from New York. Yeah. And Susan B. Anthony and, um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, like were clearly like, we like you, but we can't do black women right now. Exactly. That's interesting. So in 1871, Matilda organized a group of 10 women in um, Fayetteville, New York, to stage an unlawful voting protest. She went down first and she tried to vote but was refused. She said, quote, I was refused on the ground that I was a married woman. Then I took two single women who supported themselves and owned their own home. Their votes were refused also. Then I took down war widows whose husbands had left their bones to bleach on the fields of battle in defense of their country, and they too were refused, and so on through the whole nine. With each one, I made appropriate arguments and had a big and attentive crowd to hear me. It created a great stir. So she did a really interesting thing of like, they wouldn't say outright, you can't vote because you're a woman. They kept making kind of like, well, you're a married woman. She'd go, okay, well, here's two single women. It's like, yeah, but they, you know, weren't this or that. And she's like, okay, well, here are all women with different stories and different situations. So why can't any of us vote? She planned it. Yeah. So I don't know what word you just used. but Planned. What is that? Planned. Oh, but I said Poland. I was like, is Polanding a voting term? I don't understand what that is. Uh, I'm not as smart as you think I am. <laughs> Amazon's coming in hot in the driveway. See them? Oh, look at them. And they're going to try to go around our circle. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, 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 oh. oh. Okay. All right. <laughs> so the death of us all, these windows. Oh, my goodness. Um, just about a year and a half later, Susan B. Anthony would be arrested for her attempt to vote. Then, just a few years later after that, they all protested together at the dedication of the Statue of Liberty. They were not allowed on the island for the event, so they rented a steamer boat. Wait, no women at all or just them? These women. <laughs> oh, They're like, nasty. NWSA, not welcome. <laughs> you cannot come to this. So they rented a steamer boat for a dollar. Um, and if that sounds super cheap, it was exactly one fourth of their entire treasury tre- treasury budget. Oh, no. So they had four dollars spent one on this boat. Oh. <laughs> um, and they like a sweet Tobias Funke protested from the boat. The whole lot of them. They were on the Staten Island ferry, like throwing shit at the <laughs> Yes, they were. I love that. And again, there's no microphones or anything. So they're just yelling from a boat. (laughs) Oh, 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 my God. (laughs) Because they said they're like to put a woman as the sign of freedom just makes a mockery of us because we're not free. And they just sailed around and just protested all day at this huge event. (laughs) That's so fun. I love. (laughs) Um, 
And then in 1878, at the 30th anniversary of the Seneca Falls Convention, Matilda started to feel the strain from both sides of her aisle. So she made a speech condemning the church and talking about how they needed to change the institutions within America to truly bring about equal rights. But people didn't want to hear it. They were like, you're going too far. We need to choose our battles. Just like the old hem and haw of like, it's not your time. It's not time for this. And she was becoming way too radical for any kind of major women's movement. And then in a final act of betrayal in 1881, Anthony and Stanton, who had been kind of pulling away from her, they went on a press tour with the history of the women's suffrage book, claiming to be the only two authors. They left Matilda out. They didn't even like bring her, Mm -mm. write her down, talk Mm -mm. about her. Nope. Wow. And they had also left out her own chapter one of her chapters. So there are some that she still wrote, but didn't really get credit for. Mm. But then there was one about voting protests and they took out the part about her 1871 protest by vote. Like as if it didn't happen. As if it didn't happen. They are... Because if you're saying this is the official history of women's suffrage and it's not included, then it's not included. It wasn't a part of women's suffrage then. That I... I, like that gives me chills like I know fuck them like you I can't know. do that some historians are like I don't know if it was like really that blatant and it's like it sounds like it I mean it sounds like they are the ones who wrote her out of history but it's like why though it's was there some sort of feud it's like I know they're upset but it's like if you're trying to write a comprehensive women's suffrage history and you take out even the things that didn't work they wanted it to be clean. They, they wanted, wanted it to Susan be Susan B. Anthony to be the woman who went up, tried to vote and got arrested. Yeah. Because it went from being a uh, history to being like my story, a yeah. memoir or like, what is it called? Um, I can't think of the name, but something like used more for like political purpose. Propaganda. I, propaganda. Yes. I feel like the book went from a true history to propaganda to being like, hey, this is all we want. We're not anti-church. And then it makes them seem more sympathetic to people who are like, wow, you know what? These women are pretty on the level. And like it does happen. It does. When you write something and then you edit and you edit and you edit, you take things out. But it's like. But she's not, like, it's totally erasing someone who is actually way more forward thinking. But you just don't like what her image is doing to the movement in a way of like, well, we don't want to like we still have to basically like ask men to help us with this. So we don't want to like piss them off by like shitting on the church. And like, it's just this whole it's just oh, this it's, whole thing. It's so hard because, I mean, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton are like incredible figures. And yeah. It's just like whenever you tarnish them, when which we've done a lot on this right. podcast. Yeah. Because we we haven't covered them, but we've covered so many people in like cahoots with them. Yes. That it just, I just keep getting upset. I know. <laughs> like, I know. Oh my God. So she felt incredibly jilted and she starts her own super blatant anti-church feminism group called the Women's National. National Liberal Union uh, and a paper called The Liberal Thinker. But in 1884, her husband died and she was unfortunately left with a large financial burden after he died because he died. And then she, all these debt collectors are like, hey, he owes me some fucking money. And she's like, what? That shit I haven't happens. even talked to my husband in like 25 years. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. If, I mean, sure, sure they were talking, but she just seemed like she was like on her own road. 
Um, so her group and her paper kind of fell apart and she ended up having to move in with her daughter Maud and her new husband and she really didn't like her husband. Uh, she didn't really approve of him. He was a struggling actor and a playwright by the name of Al Frank Baum. No. <laughs> no. You, my eyes got <laughs> so big. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. She was married to the man that wrote Wizard of Oz? Yes. You're a liar. I'm not. (laughs) I was like, I have to play this so cool. I cannot mention this until the very end of the story. You're kidding me. I'm not. Jesus Christ. I'm not. And apparently when he proposed to Maude, Matilda said, I will not have my daughter be a darned fool by marrying an actor who is on the road most of the time, jumping from town to town on one night stands and with an uncertain future, an uncertain future. (laughs) He was in Oz the whole time. But the thing is, some say that his mother-in-law's strong spirit inspired the multiple strong female characters in the book there's a lot of them and her constant questioning of authority and critical thinking inspired toto the dog to peek behind the curtain to expose the fragility of worshiping existing power structures damn somebody's got to do it he felt really inspired by her and crafted the princess ozma of oz character the ruler of the emerald city after matilda she was the rightful heir to the throne of Oz, whose power was constantly threatened, and she was a benevolent ruler who just wanted a more peaceful and equal Oz. If you're writing books about your mother-in-law, you're you're good shit. Yeah, and this was after she died. So, like, so the story goes, she would listen in on him telling the daughters these stories, and she was like, hey, I know I fucking hate you, but, like, these are really good. You should think about publishing them. So without Matilda Gage, there's no Wizard of Oz. I cannot believe that. I know. When I read that in the research, I was like, okay, how do I get from A to Oz? Because this is insane. (laughs) My heart is pounding. I know. (laughs) I can't. I know. I had no idea. Yeah. Go listen to our Alphabet episode. Please do. So on March 18th, 1898, Matilda died peacefully at her daughter's home in another... And in another middle finger to the church move, she requested to be cremated, which was very scandalous at the time. Her ashes were buried in Fayetteville Cemetery beneath the headstone inscribed with her best remembered saying, there is a word sweeter than mother, home, or heaven. That word is liberty. Over the next few years, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton would slowly just erode and erase Matilda Gage from various papers and memories until she was just a footnote. That is until the 1990s when feminists started exploring the writings of this random woman named Matilda Gage only to find that her fingerprint was on everything. No matter how hard people tried, they couldn't erase her completely because she was too present. And in a fitting legacy in 1993, science historian Margaret W. Rossiter coined the term the Matilda effect to denote the process by which women scientists have been ignored, denied credit, or otherwise dropped from sight. This Matilda effect includes women who have been denied the Nobel Prize, such as Chen Chung Wu, Jocelyn Bell Burnell, and Lisa Meitner, just to name a few. Two of which we've done. 
three of which we've done all those women. No, we haven't. Oh, yeah, we did. You did. Yes. You did two. I did one. Yes. Okay. You, yeah. And that is the story and the lasting legacy of Matilda Gage. <sighs> it's incredible. I, I love that there is something named after her. And now we have a we have something we can call it now. Yes. Like when we talk about the Madonna clause that we coined that one day will be important in history. Yeah. Um, the Matilda effect is when the woman is purposefully dropped from history. Yeah. And like men are given the credit for. Like I just I love that we've been talking about this phenomena and we didn't even know it had a name because we don't know who Matilda Gage is. It has a name. This incredible woman who is all over history. The thing is, we probably even skimmed by it on a Wikipedia page and it showed up in blue because it's a thing. Yeah. And so you just didn't even. I know. We didn't know. We didn't know. So now we do. And uh, last week was birds. This week is lightning. Yep. (laughs) We're about uh, to die here. We're about to die, um, but we're going to get some more drinks. And, and then we're going to talk about cartoons. Yes. And I cannot fucking wait. That's a big thunder. God's coming for us. All right. We'll be right back. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, we're back. It's pouring down rain. Part two, it's raining. There's a glorious lightning storm, so we'll probably get distracted through this story, but it's okay. I think it's just Katara's blessing, because from what I know about Avatar, there's something to do with the elements. There is. There's a lot to do with the elements. Do you want to know what you're drinking first? I do. It looks blue, and it's beautiful. So this is called Katara, the last southern waterbender. Ooh, okay. And... So you got to put in a massive ice cube. Okay. You need something big in there. It doesn't matter if you freeze the glass ahead of time. You throw in a cube. You throw in whatever you've got. Okay. Got to be big. big. Then you're doing two ounces of sake, two ounces of hypnotic, half an ounce of fireball, oh my God. and a small amount of blue carousel. There's nothing in here but liquor. I love it. Nothing. Cheers. Except for water. <laughs> Isn't it great? You know what? It's actually really good. It ha- it's, it's like, bl- if, <laughs> it's blue cinnamon. Yes, that's exactly. what this drink is. It's blue cinnamon. It blue- it's toothpaste. It- <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that blue cinnamon? Crest, in theory, um, it's delicious. It's uh, it's so so important the fireball. And I was I was gonna use triple sec, and then had like an awakening at the last moment, <laughs> and it became really important. So, what is it that you know about Katara? Because I am about to get you into a fandom that is deeper than a black hole. Okay, so my experience with the entire show and Katara is very slim. Um, as many listeners know, I went to Bible school my whole life. And we had a teacher who was our Bible teacher who was a lunatic. And when he didn't feel like teaching, he would just put on Avatar The Last Airbender. And he would not let us talk or color or anything throughout the whole thing. So we 
just would watch it but I don't remember anything from it because I was like this is bullshit the whole time <laughs> you were like, Not, and like I enjoyed a grown person I, I enjoyed movie days but I didn't like that we couldn't like goof off during the avatar time because it wasn't like he was like hey I think you could get some really cool biblical messages from this show he was like I don't feel like teaching so this is what we're doing and yeah yeah, so that's all I know. So I feel like I haven't watched it because I associate it with like bad teacher and like the person who abandoned us in the middle of our stage production of Sound of Music when he completely inserted himself into the play. Well, sometimes, you know, if you're a teacher, you have to be the main character. I mean, I really <laughs> don't like to name names, but Dan Morgan. Yeah, um, that's his name. He's insane. That's his name. Uh, seek him out. And abuse him on social media. No, don't do that. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't ever do that to anyone. It's not worth it. No. So I'm so, so thankful. Alicia Mandurlo suggested this on Facebook. And as soon as we saw it, we were like, the as a fictional character, Katara Perfect. is through the roof amazing. Like, we have to do her. And... I'm fortunate enough to have a very nerdy family who had previously watched Airbender. I personally had not previously watched it before it was on Netflix. But then as soon as it aired on Netflix, it was on constantly in the background while my daughters were watching it. So they had seen every episode and I'd been doing dishes or painting or cleaning the house or whatever as soon as it came out in 2020. So like I had a pre- understanding of the avatar world and it's incredible so when you enter the avatar world katara is the first voice you hear in the pilot of the series really yeah she is the person that reads the intro and she also reads the intro to every subsequent episode so you know the episodes where there's like um somebody reads a short thing over top of the intro music that's her job she reads like a small paragraph and every episode she reads the same thing except for the pilot. So I'm going to read exactly what she says in the pilot because I think it is a crucial background for this story. Water, earth, fire, air. My grandmother used to tell me stories about the old days, a time of peace when the Avatar kept balance between the Water Tribes, Earth Kingdom, Fire Nation, and Air Nomads. But that all changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar mastered all four elements. Only he could stop the ruthless firebenders. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years had passed, and the Fire Nation is nearing victory in the war. Two years ago, my father and the men of my tribe journeyed to the Earth Kingdom to help fight against the Fire Nation, leaving me and my brother to look after our tribe. Some people believe that the Avatar was never reborn into the Air Nomads and that the cycle is broken. But I haven't lost hope. I still believe that somehow the Avatar will return to save the world. Okay. So the boy with the blue arrow, arrow is the that's avatar. the avatar. Uh-huh. Does he have a name? Ang. Ang. Okay. And we're so, going to get to him. Okay. Perfect. But she is like, she's, I already like this setup she's of she's hero. like, I haven't lost hope. 
I am going to be the savior of the this story. The entire series is told from her perspective. <gasps> I love that. She is the narrator. She is the person that the books that came after the series is about. She is the primary character and people don't know that. I had no idea. And I was just like, yeah, amazing. girl sidekick. Yeah. She's amazing. She's the Hermione from Harry Potter where it's like nothing goes down without you. Okay. You need to be there. So the show came out on Nickelodeon. It's three seasons, comes out in 2005, goes to 2008. It is 61 episodes that are about 25 minutes long on Netflix. It still has the beautiful like fade in, fade out for commercial breaks Mm. there. That is just so nostalgic to me. So I adore that. Uh, There's a live action movie that M. Night Shyamalan directed that is horrendous that came out in 2010 and it is called the complete disaster of the the series even the two the two people who were involved in the cartoon making it walked away from the live action because they were like this is not what we envisioned well because i feel like that's unnecessary it's and 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 they could do it but you need to do it like hardcore yeah you can't do a nickelodeon straight to tv movie and expect it to be good absolutely not it's just um, disrespectful. At that it's a point. it's a tragedy, and they just cast all white people to play all these oh indigenous parts, and it's like, I don't. It was very it was very hard to watch. I did watch it for this. I I watched a lot of. <laughs> I watched the whole series. I watched the. Movie. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> I couldn't even read a book, Allie. <laughs> oh Listen, Wait, I'm sorry. How many seasons is it? It's three seasons, sixty one episodes. Okay, but the important thing is, it was meant to be three seasons. Oh, it was okay. not canceled. They wrote three seasons and they said, this is the story we want to tell. And Perfect. Afterwards became a graphic novel. And now because of the Netflix phenomenon is probably going to come back. Okay. With a fourth series because the gra- graphic novels have been so successful. Okay. Okay. Huge fandom. I not only watched the whole series and watched the movie. This was fun because I could do it with my kids. It was very easy. We talked about what I should say on the podcast the whole time. Uh, I also watched a 35-minute documentary on the making of it with the people who created the series. And obviously, I used the fandom wiki because you can't <laughs> not. You can't not, especially with a thing like this, because those are the people that, that matter. And also, like, if they listen to this and, like, you didn't go there, they would fucking know. Yeah, they'd, they'd be like, like Why excuse didn't you- me, why didn't you talk about this? I told you exactly where to go. So, <laughs> Katara in Arabic means water droplet because the timeline is difficult because they're constantly flashing between the past and the present because the avatar is reincarnated over and over again. Okay. They label all their dates in this fandom as BG before the airbender genocide and AG after the airbender genocide, because he is literally the last airbender because there was a murder of his tribe. Oh, okay. So Katara was born into the diminished Southern Water Tribe after the Avatar had disappeared per the intro. No one could bend all four elements. Only the Avatar can do that. Everybody else has got one. So the Fire Nation was making extra sure that nobody could bend all four elements by going around and killing all these benders. So they're like, we'll just go to the water tribe and kill their benders because not everybody can bend. It's just like special people who can bend within each tribe. So they're just like killing the earth benders and the water benders and the air benders and all the air benders are gone except for Avatar. 
or Eng. So the southern tribe where Katara is born was periodically attacked uh, by the Fire Nation, and they would either kill or capture anybody that could bend water. And this had happened for decades before Katara is born. They would just, like, get rid of waterbenders. Her father is the chief of the southern waterbender tribe. His name is Chief Hakoda. Her mother's name is Kaya, and her older brother's name is Saka, and he is a very enduring member of the cast. (laughs) We love him. He's goofy, but we love him. That's so sweet. So for the early years of her life, the tribe is super small, And the Fire Nation kind of left them alone because there's other waterbender tribes. And they're like, listen, they're so small that we're sure no other waterbender is going to be born there. So unfortunately, they hear that her southern tribe gets a waterbender. Little eight-year-old. Oh, it's cutting out. Is that going to affect the recording? It will. I'm going to stop and fix it. Okay. Let's double check. Can you hear it now? Everything good? Yep. Everything's good now. Okay. Unfortunately, little eight-year-old Katara was born with the ancient skill of waterbending. She's the only one in the southern waterbending tribe, and people are coming back for her. Fire Nation shows up. They're looking for her, and her mother, Kaya, lies and says she's the last waterbender. Oh, my God. So her mother is killed in her place so that her daughter can live. So, oh my God, spoiler alert, Allie. Nick's the mom right away. Oh, my God. Which is horrifying because the choker she wears is from her mother that her mother got from her grandmother. Very Pocahontas-esque. It is. So mom is gone. So she has to grow up really quick because now she's taking care of her older brother and her dad and doing the household work and like very traditional um, maternal chores. Mm -hmm. Um, Katara in general is warm and compassionate. She's caring. She has deep affections but also shows deep irritation for people she loves there's like i love you and i hate you because you're really getting on my nerves okay and she's also has this fierce desire to learn and lead but can often be super self-righteous like because she knows how better how much better she is than everyone else um which i think is a wonderful trait in women when they know how great they are Absolutely, because we are constantly told to put ourselves down like you're not as great as you think you are. Just like lay low. Yeah. I I love that. Yeah. So then when she's 12, her father and all the physically ellible men in the Southern Water Tribe leave to fight a war against the Fire Nation. So she and her brother are left with their grandmother and a village of... Women, children, and elderly. And that's how she grows up in her preteen years. So we're going to bump ahead to the winter of 99 AG after the genocide. And the airbender is only supposed to be gone for 100 years. So they're getting real close. So Katara and Saka are out fishing for their tribe. And their canoe gets pulled into this riptide. This is all in the first episode if you want to okay, watch Okay, so it. this isn't like... No. Okay. We all know, like, if you are, like, sitting down to watch the cartoon, this is the first episode. It's incredible. I I haven't seen a better female in a cartoon, female character in a cartoon in years. Yeah. She kills it. Spinelli didn't do it for you? No. Uh, well, <laughs> hmm. Spinelli's good. But uh, uh, she's no guitar. Um, also, we have to do an episode on fucking How Spinelli. How can we not? How can we not? And the Ashley's. She is... 
the swinger girl. Um, okay. <laughs> so Katara and Sokka, they're out fishing. Their canoe gets pulled into a rip current and they end up stranded on this iceberg. Sokka, of course, blames Katara because she's always trying to fish using her water bending. Like she knows she has it. And she's like, let me get this trout like in this bubble. <laughs> and then she like splashes water on them. And they're in like the Arctic. So oh. they're like Inuit. Type, oh, okay. Type indigenous. So I like, always picture them with that big animal. Is that a part of this? Appa's coming. Okay, That's Appa's Appa. coming. <laughs> so they're like, they're like pulling this. Everyone listening to this watches the show is like, fuck you. <laughs> Good old Appa. So, all right, all right, all right. I so, know Totoro and Cat Bus, and that's it. <laughs> Studio Gimli at me. <laughs> okay, so. She's out there and she's trying to get fish and they're fighting and they're stranded on an iceberg and it's so wild. And then they accidentally, because of this fighting and because of emotions, like she fight water bends more when her emotions happen. So there's water rising up behind her, you know, it's kind of like an X-Men style thing. And they uh, come across this frozen sphere and this frozen sphere has a figure inside of it. So they kind of like, release this figure and out comes ang this this little boy and he's like about their age maybe a little younger but they're all preteen okay and he also comes out with his flying bison appa oh there he is there he is <laughs> right there in the ice with ang they're all together we very quickly find out that ang is not only the last airbender but also the avatar the Avatar is the only person who can master all four elements, but he was so young at the genocide that he like ran away and never learned the other elements. And the Fire Nation wants to take over everything and they are ready to like a beat Aang. Okay. So they now, these children whose parents are gone, you know, that's a trend. <laughs> Mom is dead. Dad's at war. They want to take Aang on a journey to find the masters of the different elements. To He's already a master of air, but he needs to learn water, earth, and fire. Oh, that's why it's called the last airbender, because yeah. he already knows that. He so can do air. His journey is to be like, I know that I can do the other elements because... I'm, I'm this. the last airbender, so I must okay. be the avatar. I'm the avatar. Okay. This is making more sense now because I was like, why did they give him a specific element when he is the avatar? Yes. Okay. So he was born. So, and there's a cycle. So like um, the reincarnation cycle goes air, water, earth, fire. So the previous avatar was a firebender. So then when he died, his soul reincarnated into an airbender. And when the airbender dies, their soul becomes a waterbender. Okay. But then you have to learn the other elements. Okay. I get it. It's, it's very this is like deep it's so Theos- deep and it's beautiful philosophical and it's on nickelodeon <laughs> nickelodeon um this is incredible okay please go on it is so very good so they decide first thing we need to do katara in charge like hey saka my older brother uh, <laughs> Not to be confused with Charles in charge. No. This is Katara. Katara in charge. So Katara is taking her older brother, Sokka, and this avatar she just found, Aang. And they are going to seek a water master first because, you know, that they're water people so they can figure it out. But she's the only waterbender in her tribe and she's not 
a master and she they, so they go to they go to find another tribe they're like we gotta find somebody who can teach you water bending and me water bending it'll be fine so the journey's never direct paths they constantly are drugged through the dirt of the war torn earth kingdom they get ambushed they visit the home of ang's dead village they're all murdered he's super sad about it they get thrown in prison all the while they're being chased by firebenders they're helping earthbender tribes who've been oppressed the whole time and they're like freeing the earthbenders all throughout this katar is the leader of the group her brother's like kind and goofy older brother who's trying to be a big warrior but he's too big for his britches and ang is immature happy-go-lucky tortured soul whatever so she is determined, she's positive, she's strong, she's making all the plans, she's doing all the work. She's like the best female character, like I said, ever on TV in a long time. So cartoon female character. So Katara also has to confront a lot of her own ethics because she's a waterbender. Again, not yet a master, but very powerful. She sees the dark side of this war because she's fighting in the freedom resistance. She's constantly like seeing people trying to take her into like an extreme thing where you go and kill a whole fire village that like people who don't deserve it and she's like we shouldn't be killing those people we're fighting a war but not against the civilians so there's like she's very extreme in the way that she deals with the people around her and ultimately she fights with her brother and ang a lot but the people come back to her okay and like constantly try to fix it so again you need a master to teach you so during this whole earth fire fight thing that's happening on the way to the waterbenders, they find this guy who's like, I'm going to teach Aang the weight of firebending, but he's really unsuccessful. And up to this point, Katara had only practiced physical waterbending, which is moving water around defensively, like blocking it up in front of you like a wave or like pulling fish out. She was also always really good at ice because she was from like the south, quote unquote, the South Pole, a southern okay. water tribe. So she could freeze things really easily. Um but as Aang is dealing with these earth and fire people, she gets really burnt. And she finds out she can heal herself. So water has like these. Wolverine. I know. <laughs> water has these healing properties. So she can lay her hands on herself or other people and heal them. So after all of that, they finally make it to the Northern Water Tribe where Aang is celebrated and he is going to be taught by Master Paku to be a waterbender. But remember, she's also the last waterbender from the south and she needs a master to teach her. So she's like, OK, I'll just be in the class, too. But she's prohibiting, prohibited, prohibited <laughs> from learning waterbending because in the northern tribe, only men are allowed to waterbend. So she uh, is begging and the master says, go back to healing where you belong. Where you belong. Excuse me. Yeah, exactly. It's very real, this cartoon. So Aang's like, hey, listen. They get in a little fight over this, too. But he's like, hey, listen. You just go do your thing. I'll go to the classes. And then when I come home, I'll teach you what they teach me in the waterbending classes. And she's like, well, fuck this. But she does it because that's her only option. But then the master Paku finds out that that's happening and he forbids Aang from even being in the classes and he has to learn it. Otherwise, the fire tribe is going to kill the whole world. Right. Literal like, world buddy. is at stake. Come on. So 
She begs. She's like, listen, I'll do whatever. As, as long as you take Aang back, I'll stop learning. I don't care. She swallows her pride and apologizes. And they're going to take Aang back. But then he gets super patronizing, of course, and says some shit to her. And she's like, you know what, bitch? I challenge you to a duel then. <gasps> Wait. <laughs> Aang challenges Katara to no, a No, 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 no. Oh, she's I'm sorry. fighting against the master. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Because he won't take Aang back. And he's like, I'll take Aang back if you apologize. And then she apologized very humbly and then was being a dick to her. And then she's like, you know what? Well, fuck you then. What? This guy sounds like the worst. Yeah. He's a super, super douchebag. So then she fights valiantly against him. It, the point of the duel was never to die. Like he was going to beat her. He's a master of waterbending. Mm-hmm. She's not. Whatever. But during the duel, and this is something I can't stand. During the duel, her necklace falls off. And it's the necklace her mother gave her. And Paku picks it up and was like, Pfft. I made this necklace for a girl I had the hots for years ago. And she's like, yeah, that's my fucking grandma that you had the hots for. And he's like, oh, well, then, okay, I'll teach you waterbending. But why does it need to come to that? Why Why does it need to come to? Oh, (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't know that you knew the right person. I didn't know that. It's horrendous. I just can't. She's like there. She's a waterbender and she's with the avatar. And he's like, oh, I I secretly had a crush on your grandma and I made a necklace for her. So now I'll teach you waterbending. It's literally the whole thing of like. The American myth is that if you just work hard enough and you just have the right credentials, then you'll go far. And. I want to give a shout out to producer because he was featured in an article recently and in his very, he was interviewed and in the very first question, they were like, Oh, like, you know, how did you get started? What was your first job? And he was like, uh, my dad's a home inspector and he was doing a home inspection for someone. And that's how I got my first job because they were like, Oh, like we're looking for someone to this, you know? And it's like, and he was a cage cleaner. He cleaned like animal cages. He ran a big dishwasher. He ran a huge dishwasher. And the whole thing is like, so he couldn't even get that job of being an animal cage dishwasher Alone. on his own. With a because degree. With a with degree. A, with a degree from one of the more prestigious universities in Maryland. In biology. And it's just so fucked that like people are like no you just have to work hard you just have to work hard it's like you also have to fucking know people and you know what that's messed up because then it's not a meritocracy it is just this weird fucked up version of the world where like you have all the qualifications and nobody gives a fuck because your dad didn't go to the right school yeah like it's just it's shocking it's really shocking and it's I think it's important that those types of things are represented in cartoons of like you weren't worthy and then oh we have a connection now you're worthy it's like that's bullshit and this show does it over and over again because the people who wrote this show the two they're two relatively young white men who wrote this show and they continue to represent this they are probably Gen Xers, so they, like, met in college in the late 90s and then wrote this show. Yeah. And it's, like, they they understand what we're all going through in, like, yeah. this American journey, and they're representing it through this, like, avatar situation, but it's so real, and it keeps happening. It does keep happening, and I also want 
it's just like another like real world kind of bringing it back is like so that's how producer kind of got into this world of biotech and now he's a big guy in it and they're like i just this so sticks out in my mind so please correct me because this is your husband that i'm telling the story from the perspective your of. brother right? <laughs> <laughs> who gets who? um but like he's at this thing and they're talking about like walmart and the guy said to jake like oh yeah as if you've been in a walmart and jake was like are you fucking kidding me like one that's so fucking classist yeah but like no like when i was first starting out like i got like my credit card rejected at a walmart to buy diapers because like that's how that's what the situation was right and it's like it doesn't matter where i am now like that guy was like no one in this field of like upper class biotech could possibly have struggled and like been not even like and you don't have to struggle to go to a walmart (laughs) but like yeah you know of like that's not even in my sphere of reference like he thought it was a joke like that people producer had ever been to a walmart right people who have seen producer probably know that he kind of looks like a scott disick type character (laughs) well he's a i mean People literally at Orioles games think he's a property brother and they take photos of him. Yeah, they think he is one of the men from Property (laughs) Brothers and they take pictures. Yeah, it's it's a big thing. Uh, But yeah, he. um, Our credit cards got declined a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I didn't mean I didn't mean to bring your personal business. I don't care. We were in a lot of debt. We were in a lot of debt. We have a whole thing of like the whole thing of like you would never be in that position at some point in your life and get this job. And it's, it's like, like, who are you? Who the fuck are you? Jeff Bezos started in a fucking garage. Yeah, and he's a monster, but let's... Also a monster. <laughs> Most rich men are monsters. That's true. Most rich people are monsters. It's fine. They all <laughs> struggled. <laughs> I'm, you can cut that whole tangent put if you want. Put a period on it. Just put a period on it. Cut that whole tangent. No, I love it. When I exposed your personal life. My personal life is immaculate <laughs> no joke and i've never been to a walmart only target um target um okay are you ready i'm ready okay so a ton of things ensue after she gets told she's allowed to waterbend uh which include ang getting captured and katara saving him and they go to the spirit realm and there's a moon spirit they have to save but Ooh. end of it all I, I'm skipping all uh, the big fans. I'm really sorry. I can't go deep for everybody. Sorry. So Katara becomes a master waterbender and is assigned to be Ang's teacher. <gasps> Good for her. She's great. So now she uses offensive waterbending as well. She used to just use defensive. And her arms become these like long whip things where like the water, <laughs> okay. the water like extends from them. It's really cool because the animators drew a different type of martial arts for each type of waterbending mm-hmm. or each type of bending. And Katara is a waterbender and the movements are Tai Chi, very like fluid. Mm. But they were very specific to make sure firebenders Earthbenders, waterbenders, and airbenders made different martial art movements. They're all a different type of martial arts. Okay. So now we're in spring, summer, 100 AG. They have air. They have water. They got to find an earthbender to master the skill as well. As well, Again, it's a tough journey. There's danger. They go through labyrinths. They have hallucinations. Aang gets placed under arrest for something he did in a previous Avatar life, which is 
focus. She's rescuing refugees this whole time. Every village she goes through, she's like, let me save these people who've been displaced because of this war, uh, which is incredible. And she does that throughout the whole series. That's amazing. Appa, the flying bison, gets captured. They have to no. save him. They have to save him. My favorite character. He's the best character. <laughs> He's got a hundred legs. So Katara then visits this library and finds this important document about the day of the black sun which is important because during a solar eclipse firebenders lose all of their power so they're like oh my god we totally have to fight like then and i love a girl who reads so good job katara yes please and thank you really it's always the girl (laughs) going to the library and being like i know know (laughs) (laughs) because (laughs) frankly like men are too arrogant there's no solution and women are like have you heard heard of the library have you googled it have you (laughs) have you asked jeeves did you even go to bing (laughs) do you bing (laughs) and it's absurd so there's a pretty serious battle at the earth kingdom capital after this and it falls to the fire nation and team avatar which is what i call their group of three team avatar okay they get the hell out of dodge and they steal this fire nation ship and there's other freedom fighters on it including her dad, mm. who she hasn't seen since she was 12 years old. Wow. I thought he was not in the picture anymore. Yeah. So he is there. And they're bouncing around. They're disguised as Fire Nation people. They're like helping other. <laughs> this is great. As they pretend to be Fire Nation people, every like village they go to where there's a Fire Nation where like the school isn't fun for the Fire Nation kids, they like revamp the education system <laughs> to like make it better <laughs> for the kids. <laughs> like adorable and then she helps this village and i think this is incredible her and ang decide to waterbend because this factory was built and it polluted the water in the village and they can't fix anything so her and ang separate the water from the pollution and like flint michigan is like please please help me my goodness i mean and this is coming out in like 2006 so like they're showing like this is what somebody could do if they could bend water away from what you've put in it and so it's very cool that's part of her thing that she helps environmentally she helps people now we're gonna get into some deep shit okay Along the journey, Katara meets this older woman named Hama, who was a waterbender, who was on the run, because obviously, again, they were killing benders of other elements, and um, she used to know Katara's grandmother. So here's what we know about Katara. She can use water to defend, to freeze, to heal, to attack. I haven't mentioned yet that she's got these other powers where, like, she's starting to, like, break out of the box. She, like, uses her sweat to break out of prison. She (laughs) uses the rain to, like, throw daggers at people. She's, like, anytime there's water, she's using it. Um, Speaking of the rain, there's a rainbow outside of our studio right now. Here comes the rain. I knew there was going to be because it rained and now it's super bright and sunny. Do you see it? It's a big ass rainbow. Uh, it happens often here, so I'm like used to it. <laughs> I took a picture the other day of Mary pooping under the rainbow. I did that. <laughs> that was perfect. It's a great picture. It happens a lot. I am trash. I'm trash. I'm used to rainbows now. It's like I live at Niagara Falls. You know how there's mm-hmm. always a rainbow there? Also, yes. And <laughs> I also feel like there's window out. There's rain out this, that window, but oh, not out this oh, window. Oh, that happens a lot. That's so 
weird. Our house is big enough that the rain is stuck. Oh my it only exists on one side. Okay. I'm going straight to hell. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm sorry. Continue. So she starts to learn a lot of really cool other things, like how she can use morning dew or condensation oh. or like water in the air to do things. But out in the wilderness, Hama, this woman, she had learned to survive for years because she could blood bend. No. I mean, I guess it's a liquid. That's right. And there's water and blood. She had been using the water in people's blood to control them. And Katara's like, fuck this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to learn this skill. Like, I know I'm almost the most powerful waterbender in the world. But, like, please don't make this happen to me. And uh, Hama is, like, pretty insistent that it's something she needs to learn. And she decides to use Aang and Sokka, her brother and potential boyfriend, against her by like trapping them so she blood bends hama like by controlling the blood in hama's body to release them and then she's like congratulations you're a bloodbender and katara is mortified hates it she only uses it twice in her whole existence (sighs) that was one we're getting to the other one okay and that's because i haven't mentioned a specific person yet there's a guy and he his name is Zuko and he is a firebender and he was the son of the chief firebender and his dad kicked him out of all firebending because he refused to duel him and then burnt his face so half his face is like burnt I've seen that person online he's very popular and he's very important because he is a bad guy but turns into a good guy and this is kind of the moment when he's like there like I don't want to be a firebender anymore. Like, I want to be on your team. Like, I'm here for this. And everybody's just like, yeah, let's do it, man. And Katara's like, I don't trust you as far as I can see you, you dick. Because he's also abused her trust in the past, which I didn't touch on because there's too much. There's way too much. Yeah. So I'm actually shocked that this is the amount of detail we're going into. uh, (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) So Zuko gains Katara's trust. Helps her find the man that killed her mother. What? That's how he gains her trust. That's incredible. This becomes extremely important in Katara's psyche because after she restrains the man, has him on his knees, she's blunt blood bending, controlling his body. He's like, listen, I killed your mother. Just kill my mother. It's not a big deal. What? Eye for an eye. And she's like, not a, no no and she's like well what am i doing like i can't kill this man he's trash i'm not trash like just let him go so that's how she ends up trusting zuko so right before the final showdown this is like the fifth episode from the end of the 61 episodes it's like a clip show (laughs) they like redo all these like cute clips and whatever but after that the last four episodes are a cinematic masterpiece it is a movie they set the four episodes up like a movie even so nickelodeon paid for all the creators to watch it in a movie theater so that that's so cool the voice actors the animators the sound everybody they got to sit together and watch these last four episodes as if it's a hollywood premiere because it was so 
good. That's really cool. It is. So the Avatar had to have all four elements by the time this comet passes through. A because, comet? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I realize we're getting into astrology here. And this has been happening the whole time. I just didn't bring it up. <laughs> the, the Fire Nation needed to destroy the Avatar pre-comet because the Fire Nation could use the comet to destroy everybody. So they're trying to get him all of the elements. So the team splits up. I'm going to stick with Katara, obviously. She and Zuko go to the Fire Nation and the Fire Lord where Zuko gets in to this big duel with his sister and they're like let's do it honorably one-on-one and he's like okay and she's like okay but then she shoots this massive lightning bolt at katara and zuko jumps in the way <gasps> to block the lightning bolt forever saying i'm on their side not yours so she encapsulates the sister in like an ice water fireball whatever and chains her up and then she runs to zuko to heal him they win the hundred year war is won. she presents she's there when um zuko gets presented as the new fire lord and she goes to walk outside and um it's a crazy last year she's like i just need to go outside and take a breath and her and ang go outside to hug and they have this beautifully romantic kiss and it's like the last scene of the series which is great because so many people were shipping different people during the series and it's like ang and katara she is the relationship of the avatar she's like so important so she's the only person to be in the first and last scene of the entire show now it's only three series and the important things there are some important things that come after So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the graphic novels, but I'm not going super in depth okay? because it could take a month. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) they win the hundred year war. The war is over and there's this harmony re reconstruction period, which is like what happened after the civil war in America where they try to like piece things back together. And uh, the fire people are pissed at Zuko because he's the leader and the freedom fighters are pissed at Zuko and they're just trying to rebuild and Aang and Katara are dating in all of the graphic novels. And it's really great because what the show is showing you is diplomacy and how you deal with life in a country after war and like all of the really important things that we don't think about. And it's a graphic novel. Yeah. And you have this woman that's kind of in charge of all of it, even though there's this avatar and there's this fire lord or president. She's really the one running the show the whole entire time. There's still a lot of capture and fighting and bending and they spend a lot of time going from the Fire Nation back down to like the Southern Kingdom where she used to live and she has to deal with the fact that she gets back to the Southern Kingdom and it's all a metropolis and she's like when I left it was like a village. And she comes back and is just mortified at the fact that she has to deal with this so she visits her mother's grave and like talks that out. Um, and then a good deal after the restoration, Katara and Aang get married and they give birth to three children. The first is not a bender. He learns bending later in life, but he's not a natural bender. Kaya, she names her daughter after her mom, is a waterbender and Tenzin is an airbender, making Katara the first waterbender to ever birth an airbender. Wow. And Katara 
continued to study and advance her skills, making her the leading expert in waterbending and all of its various styles. And she became regarded as the greatest master and healer in the world. She passed these skills on to her daughter, Kaya, who became a renowned waterbender in her own right. Kaya, at one point, discloses her sexual orientation to her mother, and Katara deals with it with such positivity and support. Her son gets married, and she has grandchildren, and in 128 AG, she works so she was like 14 and 100 ag so yeah she's pretty old at this point she worked to outlaw blood bending in the united republic and then her beloved husband the avatar passes away and is reincarnated into Korra. and she decides she's gonna be that new avatar's teacher the master waterbender for that avatar much of the remainder of the book series is about Korra and Katara and their adventures, which is great because it's like two women like all yeah. together learning about the world. But Katara quietly passes away after having three great grandchildren and living a long, happy life with her family and having an extremely successful career. She is in the first and last scene of the cartoon. She is in every episode. She is in every book she is the only waterbender to teach more than one avatar and the series is about her journey which is what makes it so important to young people watching tv and reading books because it comes off as a show for boys but it is so deeply female empowering and does it in a way that young boys aren't like ew it's a girl show <laughs> and that just blew your mind that's about incredible Katara. I love that. I I really need to watch the show now. Like it's only sixty one episodes, and yeah, the, it's three. C, it's like a British show. They're twenty twenty minutes a piece, and they're sixty one episodes. Yep. And it really is like it is a masterpiece. Yeah, because it is. It's technically an American run TV show that's supposed to look like anime. Okay. So it's much more familiar to American audiences. Okay. Kind of bridging that gap. Yes, okay. it does. It bridges the gap in a really severe way. And if you've ever been to a Comic-Con, you know that these three seasons and the subsequent books have just changed the lives of people. Wow. It's everywhere. That's and amazing. it's incredible. It's a really cool, cool, cool show with the female characters are the lead. The whole story is told through her. So yeah. I mean, thank you for the suggestion to pull her in because this is the first anime we've done. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. Well, I mean, now I think we have to talk about these two women in a segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. <laughs> I, I mean, how do we even start? It's, it's very cool that... She, okay, so Matilda wanted to be a healer, and they were like, you're not smart enough, and yeah. Katara wanted to be a waterbender, and in the Northern Water Tribe, they were like, but you're a girl. Yep. No, absolutely. And it's like them taking that rejection and being like, okay, well, I'm going to make something better of it. You know what I'm saying? And like, well, if I can't be the bender, then I will teach benders. And like, if I can't be a doctor, I will heal society through my activism. It's just taking that same theory of healing, which is exactly what we need in those fields is like 
when you're a healer, you shouldn't be just concerned with like, yeah, you're sick, so you need penicillin. It should be like, okay, but like, why did you get penicillin? Oh, there are rusty nails all over the street. Like, maybe we should get someone to clean up the fucking rusty nails, you know? And it's like that whole thing of like, they are taking it the step further and being like, okay, how can we use our knowledge then? And how can we still heal, but bring it to greater society? Because both of them never lost hope. And I feel like that is the crucial connection between both of them is that I think they both felt that society can be better. We can make a difference. Things can be different. But we're not losing hope that like there's a future. And it's also like I can be a little part of this. I can be a puzzle piece of this. I don't have to be the avatar. I don't have to be Susan B. Anthony. I don't have to vote in every election. I just need to be one step forward. Yep. Well, and that's how I like, I think it's very interesting that like, I felt like they both kind of took the place of like the narrator in the story. This person who's behind every scene and every decision and whose mark is all over the pages, but nobody recognizes it. Like, I know that show, but if you'd asked me who the main character was, I would have been like that boy with the blue triangle on his head. Right. Not Katara. And... If you were to say who are the heroes of the suffragette movement, you would say Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And that was particular that was meant that was forced, you know, not meant to be. That was an active decision that people made to say we are going to exclude Matilda Gage and we are going to include these women. Well, and is the reason I named the cocktail Katara the last southern waterbender mm-hmm. because this show is called Avatar the last airbender but she was literally the last waterbender in her tribe and is yeah. not named after her and that is who she was yep no and, absolutely and it's very important to think about that because they made a good decision and they they knew the decision they made they yeah. said we never meant this to be exclusive to little boy or little girl watchers we just wanted it to happen but the female following is huge because when you show a female being powerful other women are like i haven't seen that before and that's the thing is because we erase women like matilda that you go i haven't seen that before and you just cling to it because you have your one hero yep no absolutely and I feel like that kind of ties in with this theme of like they are the leaders and they know that they're right, but they're smart enough to be like, okay, but like I know that I'm right, but everyone is telling me that I need to shut up and like be pushed aside. And so they're just like, all right, well, I just have to like annoyingly, I have to work with what I got, you know? And I think it's interesting that you use the term self-righteous Because I feel like throughout their whole stories, they knew that they were correct. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Catch up. Everyone needs to catch up to me. And now I feel like we're still not caught up to Matilda Gage, who was like, we need to fix the systems because the systems that exist in our society are actively oppressing people. And we still haven't solved this issue of like Native American people are still on these tracts of land that like the U.S. government like allotted to them. Right. And like we took, you know, Mount Rushmore and we took all this land and we 
have been like, okay, you're pushed aside. And she's back in the 1800s like, no, 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 that's not okay. And then you have Qatar and all these instances being like, no, like this is the last avatar. You need to listen to me and you need to teach him because the fate of the world is literally in your hands. And I think it's also interesting because we see it as such an Asian show. You know what I mean? It's such an Eastern style show. But in the same point, it's written by these white men who kind of understand the American experience. Yeah. So it's funny because you see them kind of discuss the Fire Nation as if it's colonialization. Yeah. And they are like attacking these other tribes and taking away their rights. And these, you know, Katara and the Team Avatar or whatever are like trying to free these people from these binds. And it's so very similar to what's happening in real world United States. And it's funny because I don't think you usually see in quote unquote um, anime, you don't typically see in anime a very Americanized view. But this is an American created martial arts cartoon. Yep. Which is not what anime is. There's yeah. a lot of people who are going to be like, that's not anime. I can't believe you said that. Yeah. Because it is so different. Yeah. Um, But also it's incredible. Yeah. In, in what it is. Yeah. Well, and I think that that gets to one of the root problems of like ego gets in the way of progress. So when you were talking about how like you need a master to teach you, I feel like there is this like American like colonial mindset of like, don't tell me what to do. No, I am the master. But you have to be humble enough to be like, oh, these Native American tribes who have been here for hundreds of years maybe know when to plant the fucking corn. And maybe we should listen to them about like what to do when the seasons change. And maybe we should listen to them about like where to hunt and where to fish and like where to build. Like it's like not taking into consideration people that are already there. It's saying, no, no, I know what's best because you never... I feel like that egotistical mindset is like, I'm in control. You can't tell me what to do because I always know better. And it's also in in the exact opposite light. It's like, this is the way my tribe has always done it. And yeah. women are not allowed to waterbend. Yep. So it's like, well, what rules do we need to keep? And what do we need to break? Or what rules should always be flexible? Yeah. Yeah. We did it. We did it. We're heroes. That's it. <laughs> I hope we did that okay. Um, <laughs> all right, Allie. Who would you like to toast this evening? Uh, I want to toast women with the drive to learn. Mm. I think there are some women who are out there like constantly like, what's next? And they have this passion for education and it's astounding and you use it for good throughout your life. And there's all these little pieces of knowledge that you're gaining everywhere. So I think also that I really need to say like cheers to the teachers who are going back this week, either in person or virtually, because you should be all in the spreading of knowledge that you do and the little seeds that you're planting everywhere. And it's a, it's a really hard thing to do to like love education yeah and that's who katara was yeah so cheers to education and to women who like it
Who are you going to cheers? I am going to toast the women behind the curtain. It took a long time for us to see the mark that Matilda Gage had made on this country. But now that we see it, we can't ignore it. So cheers to Matilda, the Ozma of America. Oh. <laughs> All right, Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? I said it once. <laughs> I'll say it again. She can't say it anymore. If you're not watching Umbrella Academy, there's something wrong with you. I need to see it. See, I get nervous because Fiance Knowles has already seen it all. I know, I know, I know. But the second season just came out and he has not seen he the hasn't second seen season. It. No, okay. he definitely hasn't. So the first season was good. The second season was great. Ooh. I was like staying up until like one o'clock a.m. to be like, I need to finish this episode. Okay. And like producer was like, you have to go to bed immediately. <laughs> Uh, the second season was just groundbreaking and perfect and the first season also great but you gotta watch this first season before the second I just I know I promoted it like a year and a half ago when it first came out but it is ungodly incredible and it's worth a watch well great because we're about to finish the center so I need to get another like new TV show that I have no context for so we will watch Umbrella Academy next and Casey will just have to watch the first season again. again. He'll be fine with it. He'll be fine with it. He doesn't care. He's amazing. Um, Okay, perfect. So I'm going to promo a movie called Skate Kitchen. So I told Allie a little bit about this last week. Um, Basically, this movie is about female skateboarders in New York City. And the way the film kind of came about was this woman was in the subway and she saw these girls that were dressed super cool and had skateboards and she was like hey what's your deal and then she made a fucking movie about them so it's kind of half documentary but she was like i don't want it to be like just a documentary she made a narrative film where they play themselves so it's really cool i i cannot wait to watch it it's on netflix right it's on hulu 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 so for those who like, you know, Allie and I grew up with skateboarders and just like the sound of skateboards hitting pavement is like nirvana to us. Yeah. It's like so beautiful and they represent it in this very true way, which, you know, fiance and Paige and I very appreciated because we know what that world is like. There are some things that are like, mm, like, <laughs> but because there were no skateboard doubles in this movie. Everyone had to skate for themselves. It provides a level of authenticity to the film that I think a lot of movies about skateboarding lack. And the fact that there were no doubles, so every girl you see skating in this movie is actually fucking skating. And all of them, if you Google them, it comes up like, you know, American skateboarder slash actor. Because that's what they were first. I, it's and incredible. I'm obsessed. It's so great. And there's no plot to the fucking movie. It's just basically like girl skateboarding. So it's great. So watch Skate Kitchen. And they have a new spinoff show called Betty's, which I haven't watched yet. But I've heard it's really good. Um, so yeah. So go watch Skate Kitchen. And I think that's it. I think that's everything we have to say. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us on this journey. We've got like six this new women journey. requests this week. We're so excited. We're going to really round out the season. We're going to get everybody and they're good requests. We've got some really spicy people coming in. Yes. So we're going to round out the season. Season seven is everything you guys want and everything you didn't want. All <laughs> wrapped in a bow. 
I can't wait. It's uh, going to be great. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. Yeah. The whole crew. All of it. And we want you to not only rate and review us, but mm. also never forget that well-behaved women put their appliances away between use. <laughs> Appliance? Oh, you mean like your toaster? Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought you meant like your fridge. I was like, where do you put your fridge when it's not in no, use? No, no, no. You take your toaster oven and you store it away. I'm going to be honest. I do that because my kitchen is the size of a thimble. Um, but they also rarely make history. <laughs> Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs>listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye